0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the GameDev.TV community podcast. I'm your host KB, and this podcast brings you the audio experience of GameDev.TV. Now, let's get right into the podcast.
1: I want to introduce Jan. Everybody knows Jan. Jan is our amazing course creator, an old friend of mine, more old in that I've known him a long time rather than old, but he is kind of getting old as well. Old. Old. Uh, and yeah. then Remy, Remy, would you like to introduce hey. yourself for those people who don't already know you?
0: Yes, so my name is Remy. I'm a project manager of Godot Engine. Uh, as you can hear, a French guy with strong French ouais. accent. Salut. <laughs> Salut tout le monde. Right. And uh, yeah, Ben and Jan invited me to this live stream to talk a bit about uh, like Godot, how, how the community is organized, and what the specificities of Godot can really mean for you as a game developer. OK. Uh, so today we're going to do things almost the opposite to yesterday. Today
2: I'm going to field the questions. Ben's going to uh, ask and, and lead the conversation. So most of the time I'm
1: going to be quiet, which I know is a fantastic break for everybody. So Ben, take it away. <laughs> well, I may switch over to you halfway through, Yan, but I'm, I'm going to start. So Remy, just so people can get to know you. Firstly, thank you for explaining uh, where your accent's from. That's always really helpful when people are trying yeah. to tune their ear. With me, they've just got to work out how they can listen to 5,000 words a second. Uh, With you, they're going to have to work out uh, where you're from. So it's a French accent you're hearing, everybody, to help you tune into what Remy's saying. So Remy, um, just give us a little bit about your background pre-Godot. So this would be, uh, if if BC is before Christ, then it's BG. Yeah. So what was Remy's life BG?
0: So Remy BG. um, So I studied uh, energy engineering in France and Germany. Sorry, which type of engineering? Uh, energy engineering. That's so, cool. I'm not actually software developer, but since I was a teen, I was already quite uh, interested into software development. Doing that as a hobby on the side, which is why I chose different studies so that I don't do it all day long. But it caught me back uh, because I was always very interested in free and open source software and uh, contributing first to uh, Linux distribution Mageia, uh, mm-hmm. which I'm still using now and little by little, getting to know more project because I was packaging for this distribution and then um, getting familiar with some project and very interested in everything related to games. And then one day in 2014, I saw that Godot uh, was released uh, as open source. And I was like, OK, I need to package this uh, for my distro because it looks great. So I started looking into Godot with this angle of I want to provide it uh, for the users of my distro. And then I actually fell in love with the engine and decided to use it myself, Uh, especially also the packaging part. Back then was quite difficult, so I left that for later. Mm -hmm. And um, so I started using it late 2014, made a very simple Bomberman clone, uh, which is available online, which is quite bad, but uh, it worked. (laughs) I mean, I was amazed that after reading a bit of the docs and in a few hours of work, I could already have a working prototype where I could drop bombs and have flames and kill people. So, as someone who had no game dev experience at all and uh, not use any other engine, it was quite impressive for myself to see that uh, I could do that.
1: Yeah, no, I'm seeing that. Very, sorry to interrupt. As, as quite a pattern here with Godot is that the the amount that people are able to get done with very little experience is just a testament to yeah. the ease of use. Exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah. So thank, for me, it you.
0: was quite uh, yeah striking to see that because I was not really um, familiar with the world of the world uh, of game engines. I mean, I've, I had heard of Unity. Uh, I was playing Unity games on Linux and fighting its bugs. So. Uh, I knew how what was the concept, but I did not really understand back then that you could actually prototype a game in a few hours. Um, so yeah, I started using the engine like that just to toy a bit, and then since I came from an free and open source background, I wanted to see a bit how the community is organized, get in touch with the developers and um little by little, then I got active on the bug tracker and in the chats. And well, I speed up a bit my explanation, because I can talk a lot about this history. But basically, um, I had quite some experience with um, organizing the work of a community of contributors, and especially handling bug tree aging and quality assurance. And um, so I saw that there was a big need uh, in Godo back then, that uh, the issues on the tracker were not <laughs> being followed, uh, not tree-edged, not closed when they were fixed so um, and I saw that lots of pull requests were just waiting forever uh, for Juan to have some time to review them because he was basically the only core contributor back then um, and he was just it, I like to say that he's kind of uh, mono single-threaded so when he works on something, he just works on what he's doing and he doesn't really care about what people will tell him Mm -hmm. So he would review pull requests once a month and just merge 50 of them at a time and make everything super unstable for a bit. So I saw it was not uh, sustainable and kind of prevented the growth of the community because people came, they were very motivated, made a pull request, and then nothing happened for 30 days. And then they were like, okay, yeah, this project doesn't really have so much momentum. So when I started really getting involved, my idea was that... We need to shorten the time from, I contribute something, I want to be recognized, I want to get reviews, I want to get it merged or refused, but something should happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was quite difficult back then because the project was like, no uh, apart from Juan and Ariel, no one had rights on the project, so I had to convince them to give me basically commit rights to do anything because even to triage issues on GitHub, you need to have commit rights. Uh, so they had to trust me and I organized this work. I took on some of the most active users to help. And from there, the community just exploded because we had instant feedback on what people writing issues and making pull requests. So um, at that time in 2015, before that, we had like maybe... uh what's the number, 20 to 50 pull requests per month, which is still quite decent. And uh, when we started actually really taking care of the community, uh, we jumped to 100 or 200 per month, and now we are at 500 or 600 per month because the community is really growing a lot. So long story short, uh, that's how I got involved because I saw there was a need and the project was really cool. And uh, yeah, little by little, since I had some experience organizing this stuff, Uh, I took on more of those responsibilities on me. uh, All of this on my free time and in the end uh, when we started our Patreon campaign uh, last year, uh, we had big success. We were able to fund uh, Juan's work uh, within a few weeks and then when we started having some more money we thought that uh, maybe it would be good to add me to the payroll so that I can really focus on it 100% and um, Someone on the Facebook community worded it the right way. They said they're not hiring me so that I have more time to spend on the engine. They are they are hiring me so that I have more free time because I was basically working full-time on my job and working full-time at home on Godot. So now I can just work full-time on Godot and that's really a relief. <laughs> Good. So
1: Fantastic. Okay. okay. Thank you, Remy. Do you have any questions from the community or any questions yourself for Remy before I go with my next one?
2: Uh, Yeah, we have a good question from Bruce Lane. Um, Does Godot work fine with Oculus cv one or Gear VR? What's the state of VR with with Godot right now?
0: So VR is, um, it's a work in progress. Uh, In Godot 3.0, we had uh, support for um, OpenVR and uh, SteamVR, Uh, rebranded OpenVR and uh, some support for OpenHMD. And the main guy who is behind the VR support is still working on more backends uh, on his free time. He implemented support for Oculus uh, two months ago or something. Um, The Oculus whats CV1, Uh, I'm Mm -hmm. not sure which one, I'm not familiar with it, but Gear VR, we have right now a student working on it um, via Google Summer of Code. So we should have Gear VR support uh, at the end of summer. Okay, making good progress.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Remy. I have a question here from Abacus saying, uh, is that, are there any plans to dedicate a developer for improving visual scripting? Abacus, I should say uh, before Remy answers that, that we, uh, we did talk about that v- uh, visual scripting in the last couple of days as well, mm-hmm. with both Juan and also uh, yeah. last night with Lars. So anyway, Remy, go ahead.
0: Yeah, visual scripting, um I say basically the same as was said uh, in the previous days, but so it it was something very requested by the community. So Juan had to go at it and implement it. Uh, something he had a lot of fun doing it, so it was good. But it didn't really reach a state where we feel that it's a very strong added value or that it really answers the need uh, for visual scripting. So it was inspired from bl- Blueprint. So. It's quite similar for those who know it, but it doesn't provide all the facilities that Blueprint has. And right now on the roadmap, uh, it's not really on the top of our priority, but we hear a lot from the community that people would like to see it evolve. Um, there are various directions in which it could evolve. It could, uh, become more, become more similar or be, like forked into two similar uh, possibilities, like more event-based like you find in Construct because many of those who don't feel comfortable with the syntax of a programming language would like to be able to code their logic in something more visual. So event-based is really nice for that because you just say, okay, this happened, this should be the reaction Um, or maybe Try to think bigger, but it's quite difficult for us because most of those who contribute to the engine are hardcore programmers mm. and don't really understand what's the use case for this visual programming uh, scripting languages. We understand that some people find a use case for it and that's something we consider, <laughs> but we don't really get it. So we need actually people who get it and who are able still to implement stuff in C++ to make it evolve. So. So, yeah, to answer, it's on the short term priority. There are no plans, but there are some people looking into it and uh, it's not blocked. So, it will evolve. uh, And I hope it will become something very uh, valuable.
1: Okay. Thank you. And there was uh, Lars talked about this as well last night. I'll link people in a moment to the previous live streams just to make life easier for you guys. Awesome.
2: Okay, I'm just responding to these uh, reports of lag we're aware the stream is stuttering
1: in and out. We're looking into it Thank you guys and if you bear with us then tomorrow night, I know it's no consolation tonight I should have a physical piece of hardware here another piece of hardware that uh, should resolve this. if it doesn't It's gonna have to be a new live streaming platform YouTube has failed us, but we're gonna keep yeah. keep trying all the best practices see if it works so Awesome. So Remy, let's talk about where to get started. If you find that you get to Godot um, and you've got a great idea for your game, you've looked at other engines, maybe Unity and Unreal, and you've looked at the licensing costs and all the rental costs, uh, and you've looked at Godot being free, but you've decided it doesn't quite have a killer feature that you need to make your game. So where do people even get started with regards to, uh, to, to, to customizing the engine for their needs?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so To uh, put it on some context uh, on this question, question we discussed it a bit um, before, the idea I wanted to push forward in Godot is that for beginners it's very nice because it's very easy to get into it and you can prototype a game very fast, as I mentioned, but I think a key point of Godot is that uh, you have full access, unrestricted, unrestricted access to the source code, and since it's being developed by people on their free time for it to be sustainable at all. uh, It's kind of a must that the code must be well-organized and easy to read and easy to get into because otherwise no one would contribute uh, to the engine. So it means that you have an engine which has a good set of initial features which can let you make simple games or relatively advanced games. And if you need to really push it to the limits uh, to make something very complex or with very specific needs you can just change the engine very easily uh, to adapt it to cut parts which you don't need but which might have an impact on the performance or to write a module for some of your c plus of your code to write it in c plus plus and optimize some path Uh, for example your uh, ai code or stuff like that so for me it's a big Plus, that um, you can do that, and you cannot do that with Unity. Uh, you can do that to some extent with Unreal, but we, you don't have access to the same huge community of actual engine developers who can help you. Or even if you have a big studio, you can just hire engine developers to work for you on what you need. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, to give the context why I think it's so important and so valuable to have this access. That's why I said, um, Godot really empowers game developers at all levels. If you're a beginner, if you're a small game, dem- dem- game developers, then it's just good enough already. And if you have very, very specific needs, it might be much better for you than Unity and not only for cost reasons, but because you can modify so to give some pointers on how to get started if you want to modify it um i think the first step is to uh get familiar with the code base uh so we have some documentation about this uh on the official documentation which explains a bit what are the core concepts of godot of objects uh, of variants and stuff like that which are you will find everywhere in godot and then um i think starting by writing a c++ module it's an easy way to get started because it lets you enhance the engine uh, so you have to recompile it uh, when you use this approach so it's a bit different to gd native maybe we will talk about it uh, later Mm -hmm. Uh, but the c++ module is the simplest way because you just write a class and then you compile it and then you have a new node for example uh, in godot that may do all your pathfinding in the very specific way that you need it. And you just drop it where you need it and it will just do what you coded at the speed of C++ and optimized. So that really lets you cut down on parts which in your GDScript or C Sharp code might be too slow or might be too cumbersome. Or if you need a specific library, which is available in C or C++ or any language that you can bind, Mm -hmm. um, then you can really do wonders with that uh, in, and in a few lines of code. Uh, so it's very easy to go beyond what the engine offers uh, initially.
2: And I think that leads on quite nicely to I, I know I'm going out of sequence with these questions, guys. I, I do have them all copied into a notepad, so I haven't forgotten. But a question that just came up by Audig Doug.
0: Boy, I massacred that name. What is GD native? Yes, so that's a good question. I left. Uh, this as a cliffhanger, so <laughs> that the question gets asked. So, GD Native is um, some of you might know of uh, ffi. I don't know what it means, but uh, it's basically an interface where you can bind native code. That means code that you compiled uh, to a DLL on Windows or uh, So library or dylib on um, on macOS. And you just compile this code. It's it has it's not related to Go uh, from the start. And you can actually Use the Godot headers for, of GD native to plug in this code into Godot. So basically, you can build a module. I talked about the C modules where you need to rebuild the whole engine. GD native lets you build your own library that you can load into Godot and that Godot understands uh, without having to recompile Godot itself. So you can, a good example of that is if you want to use the um, Steam API library to use, uh, to add uh, some networking features of Steam or to add uh, and achievements or trading cards or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the old way to bind it is to make your own C module and to link this library and to rebuild Godot and rebuild your export templates and then you ship your game. The new way is that you can buy, you can make or there are already available a GD native module which just encapsulates this library and makes it exposes to Godot in a way that Godot understands via a C API. And then Godot will just send its um, C calls to the library and will load the code uh, from there. So you don't need to recompile the engine. You can add many. And the main interest is that, well, first of all, if you are developing it, you can just recompile this library and not the whole engine. But most importantly, you can just download GD native libraries from Godot's asset library and just plug-and-play and have uh, this. uh, So someone asked about VR earlier, and uh, all the VR backends are implemented with GDNative. So you just go to the asset library, you say, I want to download Oculus Rift support, and bam, you get it um, integrated integrated into the engine and your game. So that's uh, very powerful, and also allows us to, or the community, to bind all lang- basically all languages that can talk to C can be bound and used in GoDot. So you can already use Nim, Python, uh, D, uh, C Sharp doesn't use GDNative, Native, but it could have. Um, so there are various languages that you can just bind and use via uh, this technology. So it's very powerful. It's from for now. Uh, it's a bit. Unwieldy, like it's not very easy to set up, and to so it's more for advanced developers. But for those who really have like the means to spend a few hours figuring out the build system for this stuff, um, it's very powerful. And it will the usability will be improved little by little uh, mm-hmm. as the lang- the GD native interface matures and uh, as more and more use cases um, come.
1: Thank you, Remy. So there's two things I need to mention about the Kickstarter here, relevant to what you said. Firstly, you talked about Steam, and I want to point out that uh, that we're near the end of the campaign, but if we get to 35,000, we've committed to teach Steam basic Steam development, because Steam provides a very simple platform for getting over the difficult thing of connecting two different computers together on the internet without using something horrible like a VPN. We did that over in the Unreal multiplayer course. It's a really solid platform. So at 35,000, we will teach you Steam multiplayer, which is cool, just to let everybody know, so keep smashing the Kickstarter. The other thing I want to mention uh, early on in this stream is that if you want to customize the engine, uh, obviously you're not going to be able to work out exactly how here in this short stream tonight. We're just going to get you to ask Remy the fundamental questions. We've introduced a brand new tier. At 495, if you're very serious about Godot, then we're going to put together a, what I call a mastermind group. This is a group of people who have a private forum and we will meet monthly with the right person or two from the Godot community to help 8 to 10 of you, only 8 to 10, in a forum similar to the Entrepreneurs' Organization forum I'm a member of. And we will make sure that you 8 to 10 people create the extension or extensions to Godot that you need to get your projects done without any royalties or any fees to be paid to any engine in the future. So if you're serious about using Godot for commercial purposes, check out the 495 tier. And uh, that's my brief plug, but I do need to tell you about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what's the next question you've got queued up there? By the way, when I'm not speaking, I'm going to turn my video off because it should help a little bit with the with the stream. There's a little bit less for it to encode if I'm not moving. So uh, back to the hairless and still version of me.
2: There he is. Um, well, we've got a bunch of questions. People are, are really excited to ask some things, and one from 3 uh, R Ton 30ton. You've been on this every stream, and I still haven't figured out how to pronounce your name. I do apologize. How will Godot handle the Apple Metal fiasco and Molten VK?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, It was announced uh, a week or two ago. Um, So for those who didn't follow it, uh, Apple also released its new version of macOS and iOS, and they duplicated OpenGL on macOS and OpenGL ES uh, on iOS, which are... um, the graphics libraries that we are using for Godot uh, to display any kind of graphics. And of course, the only alternative is their own proprietary um, Metal API. And it's actually not a big issue for us because um, there are two points. The first point is that they are deprecating it. That means they don't recommend using it, and if you use it, it will maybe produce a warning, but you can still use it. And right. they are not announcing when they will actually remove this support. It can actually take a couple years uh, or more for some things they deprecated and kept them for five years. So there's no urgency right now for us to just change. But of course, we want to be sustainable in the long term. And that solution will be to use Vulkan, which is basically OpenGL fixed. Uh, so the guys who were behind OpenGL, this... Uh, Kronos Consortium, which has all the big companies, uh, all the big GPU makers, NVIDIA, AMD, Intel, and all the big users uh, together to actually think about what kind of cross-platform and open APIs can we have. And OpenGL was born there. It had some flows. It had also some good things. Uh, It worked for a while. And then they just went back to the uh, drawing page and they created Vulkan, which is uh, way more powerful because it gives you a lot more control on the silicon, like on your GPU. Uh, The boilerplate to actually draw something is even more impressive than OpenGL. It's not trivial, but uh, it's really powerful. And thankfully, so it's very well supported uh, on many platforms. It's supported on Linux, on Windows, on Android. It's supported on most consoles. Uh, So, uh, not most, but yeah, on the Switch it's supported and several. uh, So it's a very good cross-platform API and starts much better than OpenGL did. Um, The issue is that Apple said, "Well, at the same time we were working on Metal, so we don't care about Vulkan. So they are (laughs) the only ones who don't support it. And uh, some nice company developed uh, Molten VK, which is basically a wrapper to Uh, use Vulkan code and transcode it to Metal. And uh, so this was a commercial proprietary product. So we were like, yeah, that's nice, but we cannot use that in Godot. And uh, Steam, uh, Valve, and the Kronos group convinced them to actually open source it. Uh, Didn't share the details, but I guess they offered them a nice deal, either related to Steam or maybe just some good uh, money, Uh, but the open source Molten VK and it's been integrated into Vulkan proper. That means you can now use Vulkan on macOS and on iOS. So for us, Vulkan is the next step on the roadmap for Godot 3.2. So Mm -hmm. once we have that, uh, we are future proof on all platforms.
2: Very nice. Uh, speaking of being future-proof, I want to read this question from Temi. Unity I kind of know the answer to this, but I'd like to hear your spin on it. Uh, Unity thrives on an asset store that can help you support projects, from art to entire game systems. Does Godot have that same support?
0: Yeah, so that was very requested for a long time, and for a long time uh, we said okay, but do you know the work it is to set up an asset store like what Unity has? Uh, they have full-time employees working on that. They have lawyers working on that. Because it's not—it's quite easy to just put up a download page somewhere and say, okay, here you can download and you can send me money. But then yeah. the tax office comes to you and they say, oh, you took money from this guy in Germany, but did he pay the value-added tax? And did you pay uh, taxes yourself on the income you got? And then it's very, very very hairy, and handling all these money transfer things is very complex. So since we don't have the resources for that, because we're a small community of developers who work on their free time, we have two and a half people working full time. Uh, so we cannot afford that uh, to create a store. So instead, we created an asset library, which is like a store, but you cannot buy anything. Everything is free. and for now, everything is also open source. Uh, we are not up op- close to also distributing not open source assets, but for now, everyone was happy open sourcing their work. So we think it's a very great added value because you can use stuff, you have a clear license that tells you how you can use it, and you know that they won't come knocking on your door and say you should pay me royalties for this asset. So it's I think it's a very good alternative, but we still designed um, this interface this platform so that third parties could create their own asset library or own asset store and there they could handle all Mm. the the business stuff and uh, the payments and whatever and they could just uh, would still need some implementation work but they could give us a token to identify you and say okay this guy bought all those assets he can download them into Godot. Yep. So, yeah, many and people I was actually looking yeah.
2: at the asset store yesterday. Um, I mean I've looked at it before but I was just going through everything that's on there and considering that it's it's still pretty new. I mean Godot 3.0 came out in December. Yeah. That's really good stuff on there. Mm-hmm. I know for instance the Sketch Labs Sketchfab thing yeah. uh, well that's coming in 3.1 isn't it? That's actually being integrated in.
0: Uh actually it uh, it's now available um for 3.0.3. Uh, oh. it was pending Uh, some fixes that had to be done in this release uh, so that the asset works well. So it should be available now. I should check actually because it was on hold for a while because it was not compatible with 3.0.2 but since we released the new versions it should work now.
2: Oh well I I didn't check it when I installed 3.0.3 yesterday Um, but there's some really great stuff in there like if you want functionality to Be able to rotate skeleton parts in the Blender model. You don't want to go back in Blender and redo it. Fine. There's a Mm. there's a nice plugin in the asset. Download it. It works. Yeah, really great stuff. Uh, 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 Does Blender? This is a really quick one. Does Blender or Magic Voxel work with it, Dino? Yes, Blender works great. I haven't played with Magic Voxel. Um, I don't actually know that one offhand. Um, But Mikey,
0: our own Michael, has done videos on it. We did a live stream on it. Remy, do you want to jump in there? Yeah, we just mentioned the asset library, and there is an asset on the asset library to import Magica Voxel models into Godot. So it's not supported out of the box, but there is an asset for that. And that's basically the philosophy in Godot, uh, because we're a small team. We want to make something which works for everyone. So we have to have strong limits on what can we actually integrate into Godot. Sure, we could code into the core of Godot support for Magica, Magica Voxel or anything. But for everything which is basically less not relevant for more than 10% of users, uh, we really strongly ask people make a plugin, make a GD native module, make it uh, external to Godot but I- available for everyone, and then people can iterate there and don't have to wait for the next Godot version to get a new version of the Tile D exporter uh, importer or the Magic Avoxel importer. Or so we try to really. Keep the minimal set of things in Godot and to push as much as we can, uh, to the asset library. But there are some big discussions right now going in the among the core developers on how we need to go further than that, because that's our philosophy. But the workflow with the asset library is not perfect yet. Uh, and we want for users to that when you download an asset from the asset library and enable it, it should really feel like it's built in. Should not really, it should not feel like, okay, I got this script, I put this script on my node and then it works. It should be like a new type of node which has this script behind that codes its behavior but you feel that it has already been part of the engine. Awesome, guys. Quick, Three things I'd like to interject with. Um, Firstly,
1: remember that there are plenty of other places to get assets from. You don't have to go to a nicely packaged asset store. If you're looking for mesh assets, if you're looking for textures, there's a thousand other places on the web to do that. The other thing to say is that for some of the assets on, say, the Unity Asset Store or the Unreal Asset Store, they could actually be repurposed into Godot depending on what they are, what type of assets they are. Clearly not if they're C-sharp scripts. You're going to have to do some customization. But if they're simple meshes and assets like that, you might well be able to reuse them uh, quite easily depending on how they're bundled and how, uh, how they're provided. Um, the other thing I want to do is just some thanks. I'm, I've just been on the Kickstarter dashboard page. I want to thank all the people who slightly upped their pledges. A lot of people have just made a small adjustment to their pledge, made 20 percent increase in their pledge, and that if everybody does that, we'll be funded today. So a thank you to those people who are doing that. And yeah, the third facts, thing was, I just wanted to check real quick. I think at this sorry,
2: stage, if everyone increases by three pounds, we fund
1: now. Yeah, exactly. So we are so, close. Sorry, Ben. Back that's to you. Awesome. And the final thing to say is, um, I forgot what the final thing I was going to say is. Um, Yep. No, I've forgotten Jan. you've completely blown my thought. I shall come back when I remember what the third thing is. No, that's it. The third thing is there's loads of questions in this stream, which is awesome. Please uh, try and keep the questions focused on how to customize Godot to your needs because there's going to be another two streams before we finish with this Kickstarter and plenty of other opportunities to ask general questions. So try and keep them focused on that because I can see from the rate that they're coming in that uh, otherwise we'll run out of time. So
2: awesome. Yeah, I, I, I have these questions in there. Um, and I know for instance, Level GD is very keen on talking about uh, is there gonna be extra support for 2.15? But because it's not directly on theme, I'm prioritizing the ones that close prioritizing. They're the ones that are closer to what we're talking about today. If we get a gap, I will ask it. I haven't forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, On the back of that, uh, some core specific questions. I feel like we should answer that later. Um, One from Derek, quite a recent question. Are you able to export for the Raspberry Pi, headless or graphical?
0: Yeah. Yes, you are able to uh, because basically you just need to compile uh, the Linux platform uh, on ARM and it will work, like you compile it on uh, Raspbian or something like that. Um, there is one member of the community who actually has a go fork which is optimized for the Raspberry Pi. Uh, I I think it's called uh, RFP or yeah, I, I, will, I can look for that uh, after the stream and post it in the chat. Um, so it runs on the Raspberry Pi, but we don't provide, uh, so basically if you compile it yourself, it will work. Um, but we don't provide support out of the box because it's cool, but it's a bit too niche uh, for us to provide binaries um, out of the box. And uh, yeah, if you want to go to these lengths, then you can just compile it yourself, and it will work fine.
2: And really, that's kind of the theme of what we've been talking about today, whether it's uh, fully rewriting your engine. So if you look at um, RPG in a box, guys, that's a project that's happening right now. Someone is in alpha stages of completely rewriting, or heavily modifying, they're not rewriting, Godot from the ground up, so that they can sell it as a product where you can make voxel-based RPGs and everything you need is in there.
0: Actually, uh, as far as I know, they are not even modifying Godot itself. Oh. They are using... Um, I think they are using, well, they are extending Godot in C++, but I don't think they are changing the core of the engine because they want to keep, to keep it very easy to update when there is a new version of Godot. If you start changing things around to really customize it, then basically you fork and it's fine. Then you can go on, but it's very, it becomes a bit difficult to pull in changes. But I think most of what they build is actually built directly built in, uh, with what Godot provides. There you go. And, uh, I think um, they use models to yeah, optimize the performance because Godot, the editor, is built 100% in Godot, too. Uh, but there are some of the operations that it does which are quite performance-intensive. So if they were built in GDScript, uh, it could be quite slow. So it's built in Godot, but in Godot C++. And I think uh, RPG in a Box is a mix of GDScript and C++.
2: But this is where I'm going with the idea that you can remake the engine to be what you need it. And you have legal right to do that as well. It's it's not even like it's easy to do. It's not just visible source, it's open source. It's your engine as well. But you can also just make a small tool or a small plugin or download a plugin that someone else wrote. Um, And it's really about what do you need the engine to be, Mm -hmm. right? It's not, this is an out of the box, like um, for instance, Unreal, love Unreal. Very powerful engine, a lot you can do with it. But unless you're willing to negotiate a lot with the, you know, with Epic, I forgot the name of the company, uh, and really get into it, you have Unreal. You have the same version of Unreal as everyone else. Mm. Godot, if you need Godot to do something else, or let's say, um, I don't know, you need to completely rip out everything to do with 3D because you're only going to be making a 2D game on a very, very small, old phone, for whatever reason, you can do that. Mm. Uh, If you want to use it with a different language, if you want to write the whole thing in pure Python, not not, um, GDScript, done. You just import the GD native uh, wrapper mm. for it. So it's all about empowering for what you need it to do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, while on that, let's stop me waffling. And, uh, okay, very quick question from Fosse Gooden. That's about the course more than this, but I can knock it out the way. Can we make C++ modules in the course? We will not be covering C++ in this course. We might look at it later. And the reason is we kind of have to draw a line somewhere. Right? If we do every language that Godot can do, we are doing every language that can talk to Godot, which Mm. I mean, so at some point I would like to do a more advanced class of how to use GD native to bring in these other languages, but I think that might be outside the scope of this. Unless halfway through this, we suddenly get a bunch of people saying, okay, cool. Now show me C++, in which case we'll revisit this. Mm. Um, Let's see. What else have we got? Uh, Okay. This is a little bit outside the scope, but I think we can cover it. Jose Gonzalez says, is GDScript mature enough to use in a serious project? I'm going to let you decide what serious project means, but yeah, how viable is it?
0: That's a good question, uh, because depending on the definition of serious project, uh, I can't really say if we've seen any. Like if you're thinking serious project on the scope of Minecraft or RimWorld, we are talking a lot with the RimWorld developer right now uh, about what he thinks, how good it should evolve. Maybe you will you will hit maybe uh, some limitations if you have some very specific needs. But those are limitations where you can easily offload to C or even to C sharp uh, because C sharp has also quite good performance. Um, so my uh, my opinion about GDScript is that it's a very good language to start. Like if you are new to programming or new to Godot, give GDScript a try because you can, as I said, you can really prototype very fast with it. Mm. And that's the good thing. If you are in a big big team and you need to have very specific static checks and very very specific workflow as far as the language is concerned, then maybe you will want something statically typed like C Sharp with a lot of external tooling, and a lot of libraries and very great IDs and libraries to proofread your code and stuff like that. So it's a trade-off. GDScript is meant to stay small, very tightly knit into the engine. Um, And that's also why people always ask us, "Okay, will GDScript die like Unity script and Unreal script and whatever script? No, it won't die because we love it. It's so tightly knit into the engine that you can really use it for very, a lot of things very fast. Mm. And you can always use several languages at the same time. You can write part of your code in C Sharp and some of the more higher level code in GDScript. For example, you could write the backend of your game in C Sharp with very skilled C Sharp developers and let your designers and some artists even write some more logic in GDScript that will interface with this backend.
2: Yeah. In fact, Lars raised a good point where he was trying to convince people who were very fluent in C-sharp and C++ to program in GDScript to relearn better coding habits. Mm, yeah, Because it's such a tight and and um, he calls it opinionated language. It's, there is a structure and you have to follow mm. the structure. Exactly. And it, it gets you back into writing much more readable code. Uh, let's see. Uh do, 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 do. Okay, Chris, finally, are there any importers for Dragon 1s and COA tools in the works with regard to 2D Skeletal Deform? I know 2D Skeletal Deform is actually coming, but Remy, what's the state of the art with 2D
0: Skeletal Deform? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I know that it's coming. I know that uh, Juan has done a lot of work on uh, 2D Skeletons and 2D Meshes. Uh, I just haven't tested it yet, so I don't know exactly what was implemented. I just know that implemented what many people were waiting for, so I think um, it's, uh, if not already fully what you expect, it's already uh, on the right uh, path. And for example, COA tools, um, Andreas Eza, who is developing it, uh, used to contribute a lot to Godot, and uh, was working on a Godot game at some point, and he still loves the Godot community. So, I mean, as soon as, if there is not first-tier support now, uh, for Godot, I think he will add it as soon as the engine is ready and really participate in making a very good interaction action between um, the two tools. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, question just came in from Abacus. Any plans to expose tool functionality of GDScript to visual scripting?
0: Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I think it's the first time I hear it. I don't think it's planned, but uh, I don't see why not. Uh, So to give some context, the tool functionality is, um, or maybe it's implemented, I don't know. I don't have much experience with uh, Visual Script. But the tool functionality in Godot is basically when you prefix your script with tool, like t-o-o-l at the start. It means that the script will run both in the game and in the engine. So when you add a node to your Sentry in the engine, which has this tool script, it will run. So it's a bit jarring at first. It took me a while to understand what that means, uh, what you can do with it. But basically you can create your own tools in the engine. You can script your own tools in the engine and use the same scripts in the game and in the engine, or just use a script just for the engine if you want. Um, and it's very nice because you can, for example, uh, set, like you expose a viable for your node that says, uh, in, so in one game I saw it was, yeah, a tree number. You just change the tree number, and then there was this very simple tool script that would just do a few operations like change the sprites of the tree based on the number, uh, change some animations for leaves, uh, stuff like that, and uh, change the collision box uh, based on the size. So it, it's very nice to automate, automatize your work uh, without having to do all this by hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the two scripts are very nice, and yeah, I think they could be uh, implemented in Visual Script, too, if it's not possible already. So that cool. might be worth uh, opening an issue on the issue. Yeah, it's, on it might be one that people are interested in making. Yeah. Uh, which brings me
2: to Keith Scholes a question he asked a while back. How do you handle submission and QA for community changes to the game engine? So we have a bunch of people who are submitting things. How do you make sure that it's curated?
0: Yeah. That's the tough part of my job. Um, <laughs> especially th- since uh, I said, so I was, I'm was i an energy engineer. Uh, I have some good knowledge. Like I'm an average programmer. I'm not a die-out programmer like Juan. Or So... I try to review most pull requests, but sometimes I don't really understand what they are doing. I can read the code and see if the code makes sense, uh, but I'm not always sure, especially because I'm not a very experienced game developer myself, I'm an engine developer. And I don't always know if the feature is actually wanted, because as I said, the hardest, the most important for us is to draw the line between, yes, this is nice for you, this works for your game, but for us in the engine, it's bloat. We don't need it. Uh, it will just make something which is not following the design of Godot, d- does not fit its philosophy or architecture, and then we will have something that we cannot even remove because otherwise we would break compatibility. So, Before merging a pull request, there are all the thoughts and discussion between the developers. Okay, is this something we want? Uh, is it well implemented? So yeah, the vetting process is often too try to get contributors to look at uh, pull requests and to express their opinion, which can be quite difficult because they are also all doing this for fun on their free time and they don't always want to do peer review or Mm. they might also not know if this is a good feature. So right now, thankfully we can rely on Juan as the lead developer to say yay or nay on most uh, submissions. Sometimes he will have his own opinion very quickly. Sometimes it's wrong. So we will say nay to a feature, which actually would be nice. And then it's good because it can be proposed again a few months later. And then some core developers will start advocating for it because they understood that it's really needed. So, so we still have this, like, yeah. When we're not sure, it has to go through one. We'll say that's a good feature. That's not a good feature or that's a good feature, but it should change to use this or this kind of architecture. So for example, VR support, uh, the developer who did that, it started by making a big pull request which said, okay, now uh, I've implement, implemented preliminary VR support, I've changed this in the visual server and everything. And Juan was like, that's great, but that should go in a module. And oh, Gini native is this new cool, cool thing, so you should use that. But back then it was not good enough for VR needs. So, uh, Bastian who worked on VR had to work on GD native too, to improve it to fit his needs and to create the AR VR interface in GD native for all the cross reality. Um, so yeah, long story short, uh, it can take a while for some peers, uh, pull requests to get merged because we really want to be sure that when we merge something, we really intend to have it and to maintain it. And it's really an added value to the engine because every time you merge something, you add to the technical debt of the engine and you need people who will be there to maintain it. So of course, after a while, when you have a few contributions uh, merged and you communicate a lot with the devs, you start getting the philosophy of the engine and you will naturally make the right contributions, which will be much faster to merge. But it can take a while to reach this, like level of design symbiosis uh, the- I have to
2: say one of the things that really impressed me when I first started looking at Godot, I-, I heard open source engine and part of my brain was like that could go very wrong. Like that could be a free-for-all. Is mm. how well curated it is. And when you yeah. look at features that were added in by people other than Juan, like the first time I saw the auto-tile functionality just built straight into Godot, or uh, cube mesh, which is like tiling, but you can do it in 3D. So you just mm. build a tile map of 3D assets and plonk, blonk, plonk, blonk, blonk city. It's fantastic and it works. And it's just, I could see how that would go very wrong if you had a bunch of different people with different programming styles and paradigms and visions. And so, yeah, I know that we're coming close to the end. Ben, how are we doing for time? You're muted,
0: maybe.
1: It's a film? (laughs) So uh, we've only just got a few minutes to run. I'm keen to keep the stream under one hour so that people don't get put off the idea of rewatching it because they're always full of value. So, Jan, if we just take one more question and then thank Remy for his time. And before people go, I want to remind everybody that tomorrow night we have Sam and I talking about some really important perspective on your coding in general. If you don't know the difference between imperative and declarative coding, the difference between a static or a dynamically typed language, the difference between composition or aggregation, then you don't have enough perspective to be making the best choices about the tools you're using. So join Sam and I tomorrow night. I'll paste a link over in the chat in a moment. Uh, so, Jan, yeah, t- let's take one uh, final. One uh, more. Question.
2: I'm gonna ask Level GD's question because he's been so patient. I think it's a he, she, they, whatever you are. Um, you don't have to come up with all 10. What are your top 10 games made with Godot? I know you must love this question.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, well, it's a good question. I don't know if I go up to 10, but yeah, I'm one of the guys who buys most Godot games made uh, which are published on Steam because I really want to support the people who publish games and many are very they are small indies with no marketing budget. So it's like they publish it and they really need a lot of support to get some publicity Even if their game is great, uh, they might not get noticed. One that I loved is um, Deep sixth mm. uh, published by uh, Little Red Dot Games, because I think it's very unique. It's a spontaneous survival game where basically you are in a... so click with yeah, 2D graphics, and you are in a, a spaceship alone, and uh, then you get attacked by monsters, and you have to explore stuff. And basically, the gameplay is that stuff breaks everywhere in your spaceship, and you have the spaceship manual, user manual, and you have to read the user manual to find out how to fix stuff. So it's very fun. It's really uh, like a nerd engineer game. Uh, it's not for everyone, I think, but I really liked it. Uh, so I'll name some without giving too much details because it would take a while, though, but um, Nuno Donato published some nice games uh, A Game of Change and um, Satellite Ripperman, which are quite nice uh, yeah I liked um, the incredible adventures of Dog Mendoza and Pizza Dog which was uh, basically the first commercial game published by Godot after it was open source because it was developed by uh, Ocam Studio, was the studio funded by Juan and, um, mm-hmm. and Ariel, and uh, so it's a nice uh, also point-and-click adventure game, and it led it, it had a nice Kickstarter, and it led to the open sourcing of the framework they built for the game. So there's now this Escoria framework, which you can use to create point-and-click 2D games, and which is which has been part. It was already uh, initially for the Godot 2. It was ported to Godot 3. And now there are some several projects working uh, being developed with it, so it's very nice. I uh, feel like I should mention Transmogrify because I know it's good. Yeah, Transmogrify, right now, it's, and it's uh, a really fun little game. i played the demo. right now. I played the demo. It's already. It's quite nice. Uh, I think they have a nice concept where you can. Uh, so it was made for a Ludum die where you the idea was I don't know the unconventional weapon or something. So you have a weapon which basically stuns or freezes monsters yeah. and you have to solve puzzles with that. It's quite nice. You could It's you still on Kickstarter now and it needs your support, so if you're into it, um, I encourage you to have a look.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's worth looking at. I've, I've pledged on it myself. And uh, speaking of Ludum Dare, that's a game jam, isn't it? Remy, do you yeah. have anything to
0: say about game jams? There, yeah, I've heard something about a game jam. Uh, so we have a Godot community game jam uh, starting tomorrow and ending on uh, Monday evening. Uh, so it, you can find the link on the Godot website. It's one of the recent uh, blog posts. You can still vote on the theme if you want. Uh, we have some nice proposals. Uh, we'll announce the results tomorrow.
2: I will and, not be taking part, unfortunately, because yeah. we have a Kickstarter. Um, yeah, so nice timing. Thanks.
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, I published the announcement for the jam. I asked people to propose themes, and right after, I was like, <laughs> shit, it's the, weekend, the end weekend of the Kickstarter. So we will have people jamming during your nice live streams. But Mike I like- and I were actually tempted. We're like, do you think we could code while we're streaming? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> an idea. But yeah, it's a nice jam because the idea is just to make a game with Godot. Uh, no pressure. You can reuse assets that you have. You can reuse code that you have. Um, just make something with Godot during those few days. And um, as I mentioned for our asset library, we really encourage people to make free and open source assets. And for the jam, we also think that when you make a game over two or three days, it's rarely the next big commercial hit in this stage. So we think it's a good exercise for everyone to try to open source this code and say, okay, here's what I did. Here's how I did it. Here's what I learned. Here's what you can maybe learn from my code. Uh, so we ask people to open source their game. Then after the jam, of course, you can just so leave the jam version open source. And then for, if you want to continue, work in this game and make a commercial game you can make it non-open source uh,
2: and you guys should definitely think about doing that because Mike and I managed to do an unofficial
1: impromptu four hour game jam and made a really fun game with Godot like it is yeah. a fast engine thank you very much everybody it's been a great live stream and we'll look forward to seeing you on the
0: next one well that's it thanks for listening you can find all game TV courses at courses.gamedev.tv slash courses or in the show notes with a 10% discount get started with your game development journey today